three, the final week of our series that we've titled Connect, a series where we have been looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I want to invite you, if you would, to grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 10. It's where we're going to be uh, here for the, uh, our text this morning. Uh, grab your app, the Bible. If you're reaching for a blue Bible in front of you, it'll be on page 735. I invite you to turn there. Um, I want to tell you, just share with you briefly, as to how great I think this series has been, not because the messages have been you know, stellar or because of anything I've done, but because of the feedback that I've been getting from, from some of you. Um, you've been sharing about how this is moving from something you know to be true to something that you are living uh, out in your life, that you believe to be true, and it's changing your life, and it's impacting your life in, in great ways. I, I've been excited to hear the stories about how you are loving your neighbor um, as yourself. You're striving to, uh, to see a need and to meet it, to, to see a hurt, and then striving to, to meet that hurt, to heal that hurt. I've also heard about how some of you have been recipients of that type of love, and it's been interesting how you've responded to that because uh, a couple of you shared with me that it used to be you saw that as just something that was fortunate for you or a bit of good luck, you know, or something like that. But now you're looking at it through the lens of what if God is really trying to allow other people to minister to me? What if God's working in my life through those people and it's beginning to get your attention and uh, I just pray that that will continue uh, in your life. I also hope that you will continue to pray for other people. Uh, for several weeks now, we have been showing this um, initial slide, and on this slide are the initials of people that you have texted in that you would like to pray for and would like for us to pray for with you uh, about people who have yet to discover and experience this life-changing love. And so uh, we've been uh, praying over the, the initials on this slide, and if you want to submit someone that we can add to that slide and pray for them as well, the number is right there, and uh, we invite you to do that. Um, we're going to take just a moment and pray for these people. Um, I invite you to, to pick out a, a person or two, or maybe you've submitted a, an initial or two. Would you pray for them right now? And just let's take a moment uh, and pray, and then I'll, I'll lead us in a corporate prayer here in just a moment. Let's pray together. Merciful God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the opportunity we have to pray for these people that are so important to you. God, I pray that as we live our lives and as the people that are represented on this slide live their lives, that you would use us to impact their lives for you. And that as they see us, they will see you and desire you and, and want to walk with you and want to have that relationship with you. God, thank you that you hear our prayers. Thank you that we're all important. We're all special to you. Thank you for seeing us and for loving us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Um, so over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at this story of, of the Good Samaritan, and uh, we've been challenging all of us to, to see how we can be a good neighbor. We've talked about what a difference, what a huge difference a neighbor can make in our lives. There are times that they have a need, uh, that we have a need, and they help meet that need in our life. There are times that they, they do things and, and help us in ways that we could never imagine. Uh, it's interesting how uh, when someone responds to us in that way, they can make a bad situation better or they can make a good situation the best, right? 
because that's what people do uh, in our life. And I think that we all want to have a neighbor like that. We all desire to have someone in our life. But the question that we have been kind of wrestling with is, can we be people like that? Can we be that kind of neighbor? Can we be that kind of friend? The kind of friend that Jesus talks about in this parable. And so we're going to look at this parable again this week. I'm going to read it. I invite you to follow along either uh, in your Bible or it will be on the screen uh, behind me. In Luke chapter 10, these words are written. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus answered, or Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho where where he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and he saw him. He took pity on him. He went to the man. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Jesus is challenging his audience, his followers, the the people listening here, that they are to have this type of love, even love those people who are hard to love. That's the type of love we are to have. Remember, the Samaritans and the Jews, they didn't get along. They didn't treat each other well. They were at odds with each other. They were enemies. And what this means to me is, what do we do in our life when, when people around us, what do we do when they act like jerks, Right? How do we respond? What, what do we do in those situations? If you were to do uh, a quick Google search, which I did, to look up bad neighbors other than the movie, which you have to ignore, there are all sorts of amazingly scary stories about bad neighbors, right? I don't know if you've ever had a bad neighbor, but my guess is there are people in your life who have caused you difficulty in your life. Maybe for you, like many of the stories I read, it is a physical bad neighbor that you have. But for others, maybe it's not a a literal neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker or a classmate. Maybe it's a family member or someone with whom you feel obligated to be their friend. And while one of the things that Jesus is teaching in this parable is that we are to love everyone, I think it's hard to think about loving everyone when the truth of the matter is, Sometimes it's difficult to love the people we're around all the time, isn't it? I mean, if we're just being really honest, sometimes it's hard to love your family. And if that's not the case, then you're the one that it's hard to love, okay? Just keep that in mind, right? Sometimes it's, it's hard. Sometimes it's just hard to know how to treat and how to act and what to do and with the people that are right around us. So where does that leave me? Where does that leave us Wouldn't it be, I mean, if we were thinking about this and if we were writing this script, wouldn't it be much easier if we could just focus on the people in our lives that are lovable? Can't we just love them? I mean, shouldn't we just start there and at least just, you know, call it good there? Well, it doesn't work that way. Last week we looked at the fact that as disciples of Jesus, we are his followers, 
we're called to have compassion on people. Every single one of us that are, that are believers in him are challenged to, to love our neighbors the same way that Christ loves us. But is that possible? I mean, we talked about that, right? Can we really love the way Christ loves us? Because that's what the man was asking, right? When he was asking Jesus, how do I, how do I get into heaven? What must I do to inherit eternal life? He wasn't really trying to gain Jesus' insight or perspective. What he really wanted to do was trap Jesus. He wanted to discredit him so he could really feel better about himself and things could be better in his own life. But instead, Jesus turned the table on him and asked him a question. And in, in doing this, Jesus describes that, that we are to love our neighbor. But in the fact that Jesus is describing that we are to love our neighbor, I, I don't want us to miss the key point of the story, that even though the compassion that the Samaritan had on the injured man was amazing, the point Jesus was, was telling us was not to demonstrate how we are to love, but instead he was trying to show us who we are to love. The religious lawyer stated correctly that the second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself, and in doing so he wanted to, to limit the scope, and so he asked the question, okay, Jesus, then who's my neighbor? He wanted Jesus to narrow this scope and make it, make it attainable, right? Like just loving the lovable people around us. That's what we would desire, and that's what this man wanted. But Jesus expands it. He, he expands it even to the Samaritans, to the neighbors that despise you, or maybe the people you despise. It includes all the people, even the people you avoid at all costs. It includes the person who wronged you. It includes the person you view as unlovable or undeserving of love. The parable of the Good Samaritan was intended to show not only the religious lawyer, but I think all of us, this vision of selfless love that is so perfect, that is so unattainable because we're not capable of that. Jesus wanted to show this religious lawyer that though he thought he was spiritually rich and superior, the truth of the matter is he was spiritually bankrupt and he was in a pretty desperate situation. He wanted the religious lawyer to realize that he was poor, and instead of relying on his own ability to love, he needed to seek the spiritual riches that Christ had to offer through his love. And the reality is, when we really stop and think about it, we are in the same position as that religious lawyer. We are in a position of need. Because if our ability to get to heaven is based on our ability to love our neighbor as ourself, I don't know about you, but I'm in big trouble. And my guess is, so are you. And so what do we do about that? What hope do we have? And this is where I want to land for the next few moments here this morning. As we take a different look uh, at this parable, one that that may be familiar to you or obvious, but I still think there's value in sharing it this morning. Two weeks ago, I invited you to put yourselves in the shoes of that religious expert that we were just talking about to ask the question, hey, God, hey, Jesus, what must I do to get to heaven? And to wrestle with the fact that We are to love God and we are to love others perfectly with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and with all of our mind. And yet because we can't love that way, we are in trouble. And that's why we need Christ. And that's what Jesus was trying to tell this guy. You need love. You need the love that I have to offer. Last week, uh, I I challenged you with this question. Who do you see yourself as in this story? Who, Who are you? And oftentimes when we look at the story, we have to ask ourselves, are we more like the priest and the Levite or are we more like the Samaritan? And our focus last week was on we're supposed to be like the Samaritan, right? 
That's what we were challenged to do. We're to, to see a need and to meet it, to see a hurt and strive to heal it, which is why I challenge you to make a concentrated effort this week to meet a need, to do for one what you wish you could do for everyone, to go and to love, to be a representation of the embodiment of the love of Christ one for the other. And I think that often we do see ourselves in one of those two categories. And, and granted, that's kind of where I've been pushing you to see yourself. Are you more like the priest and the Levite or are you more like the Samaritan? And we've been challenging you to be more like the Samaritan. But what I want to do this morning is to get us to look at maybe we're not the priest and the Levite and maybe we're not the Samaritan either. What if we play a different role in this story that Jesus told? What if our role is instead the person who was in need? Just think about this for a minute, that you are the person who's going about your life, and, and life is okay, and, and then all of a sudden something happens, and you're the one who's been beaten and robbed and stripped of your clothes and left on the road half dead. What if that were you? What would you need then? And for the sake of our discussion this morning, uh, what if that represented us? What if that represented all of humanity? What hope do we have then? Well, sometimes... When we're in need like that, we put our hope in religion. We think that religion can save us or that it can help, but the truth of the matter is religion doesn't because it just, it just can't. We think that if we just uh, live the right kind of life and we surround ourselves with the right type of people, right, we come to church and we have you know, good friends, that that's going to, to save us. But it doesn't because, again, it, it can't. Oftentimes we think that our own efforts, our good works, the things we've been striving to do during our life, all these good things, surely those are what's going to tip the scale into our favor. But we are in need. And there seems to be no help. And there seems to be no hope. And then along comes someone unexpected, someone we do not fully understand, something we can't fully explain, and he shares with us an extraordinary love that we didn't expect to come from him. It's something that's irrational and sometimes just unbelievable, but yet he does for us what needs to be done, something we couldn't do on our own. He meets our needs in a very real and practical way. He finds us in our sin, in our guilt, in our shame, bloodied and broken by our own choices and the sin of this world, and he comforts us. He becomes our friend, and he meets us in our pain. He lifts us up and begins to heal us. He provides a way for us to be safe and puts us on a path toward healing and righteousness, and he invests in us. He sacrifices for us, and he promises to return for us, but not before paying a price so that he could return. For the past two weeks, we've been challenged to see a need and to meet it, to see a hurt and strive to heal it. But what if today you're the one in need? What if you have that hurt in your own life? Do a little self-examination, if you, were, if you will, this morning. What about that emptiness? What about that sense of longing, that unsettledness, that something is just not quite right feeling that you just can't shake, you can't explain it, but you know it's there. And it's hard to wrestle with that. 
we try to just kind of push that away and not ever bring that up. And so we do all kinds of things to try to mask it or to cover it up or to just drown it out. We try money and accomplishments or positions of authority. We try relationships. We try material things. We eat. We watch TV. We watch or play sports. We live vicariously through our children. We, we drink. We gamble. We look at porn. We buy stuff we don't really need. We stay busy. We gossip. We're angry. We're unsettled. We're not content. And we know it. And yet we try not to let it show. And we're desperately desiring for something to change. And yet we just don't know what to do. We continually take the small pegs of the world and put them in a big square hole. And yeah, they fit. They do. They go in. There's a lot of room left all around them. So we take more of those things. We continually cram those things in to that square peg or that square hole. And we're just, we're just trying to fill up our lives with all those things when the reality is the only thing that's truly going to fill that empty spot in your heart and in your life is the cross of Jesus Christ. His love and his grace and his mercy and his compassion. That's what truly gives us hope. Hope that even though because of our sin we are like that man lying half dead alongside the road, lost and spiritually bankrupt, God has provided a rescuer for us to rescue us from our sin. He allowed his one and only son, Jesus, to come alongside the road to to lift us up, to heal us. He came along the road known as the bloody way and rescued us by by shedding his blood for us so that we could receive the inheritance that Only Jesus truly deserves. Paul describes what God did through Jesus Christ, his son, in the second letter to the church at Corinth. In chapter 5, Paul writes these words, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. A little later in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul said it this way, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. You get that? Do you see what Jesus has done for us? The the amazing news is God's power and God's grace in our life that though we were poor, we've been made rich because of what he has done. Not because of our religion, not because of our friends, not because of what we've done, but because of him. And I want to suggest that we will really begin to love others when we discover the love that Jesus Christ has in our own life. That's when it truly begins. A love that paid your debt. A love that was given to you. A love that is more than just something we know to be true, but something we believe in our heart and in our life, and it begins to flow out of us, and we are challenged, and we are changed, and we love. To love as Christ loves. A love that's not motivated by guilt or pity or a sense of duty, but a love that's motivated because of our faith and because of the love that Christ has for us. Now, that sounds exactly like what you're supposed to hear at church, right? And here's the pushback, and here's kind of the rub. And I get this, right? I understand this, that there are people all around us in the world that have good relationships with each other, right? And they know how to love. They have no connection with God, no connection with Jesus. They, in fact, they reject Jesus, and yet they still have love in their life, right? And I acknowledge that that that's true and that's evident. There's a love for family and friends that exists outside of this realm of faith and outside of what Christ has done for us. But what I want to suggest to you is there's a particular type of love that is evident in those who have accepted Christ as their Lord. It's a love that's 
indiscriminate. It's a love that doesn't require reciprocation. It endures in the face of hatred. It's unconditional. It never fails. And that's the type of love that people outside of a relationship with Christ really just can't understand. Because Jesus is what makes that possible. Because here's the thing. If you know that you're a sinner and you've been saved by grace, it humbles you. It changes you. It changes the way you live. It changes the way you treat other people. Tim Keller, who's the founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York, he he shared some thoughts uh, of the love of Christ as evidenced by grace and mercy. He wrote these following the following words. He said, "There's a powerful effect that the gospel of grace has on a person who's been touched by it. The person who knows that he received mercy while an undeserving enemy of God will have a heart of love for even and especially the most ungrateful and difficult of persons." When a Christian sees prostitutes, alcoholics, prisoners, drug addicts, unwed mothers, the homeless, the refugees, he knows that he's looking in a mirror. Perhaps the Christian spent all his life as a respectable middle-class person. No matter. He thinks, spiritually, I was just like these people, though physically and socially I never was where they are now. They are outcasts. I was an outcast. There's only one lasting motivation for living a life of compassion, of grace, of love. It's when we understand and we begin to believe and live out that God has extended his grace to us through Jesus Christ. And to be really transparent, that whole idea of of knowing and believing is something that I'm working to fully experience in my own life. There there are times that that I've seen it, I've experienced seasons of it, but yet at times it's hard to walk in that reality, right? It's hard to really see yourself as deserving. It's, It's hard to see yourself as the one who can love the way Christ loved me. And yet it's so very humbling when we realize that even though we were broken and wayward, that Jesus loves us anyway. He sacrificed his life for us, and and he's asking us if we're willing to accept his truth. And when we do, it's then we can discover and experience life-changing love that's made possible through Christ and through Christ alone, because that is the hope that we have. And because of his love in our life, we are compelled then to love other people, to love those around us, to, to love those who are unlovable because of sin. Because after all, Christ loved us when we were unlovable because of our sin. So we're supposed to love others. So what do we do with this love? I mean, how do we respond to this? Well, first, it starts some, somewhere very particular and very important And I have to ask you the question, have you personally experienced his grace, this amazing grace in your life? Have have you accepted him? Today, it's it's my prayer that you might be at a place in your life where you would be willing to to receive God's grace and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to, to surrender to him and to begin walking your life every day with him, to walk in that relationship with with him. Maybe for you, you, you've been thinking about that and you've made that decision and you, you've been striving to walk that. And, and for you, the next thing that you need to do is be obedient through baptism. You have the opportunity to be lowered down into the water and to be brought back up again. It's, it's to be buried with Christ and, and walked in newness of life. It's, it's a simple and yet powerful act that says, you know what? I need you, Jesus. I, I, I love you. I, I want to be yours completely. And I, so I surrender wholeheartedly to you because I cannot do this on my own. It's a time to celebrate when we surrender our life to him. 
You know, earlier this year, Christy Jacoby and Eileen Whistler traveled to Thailand, and, and one of the many reasons they went on this trip was uh, because of a decision that Eileen had made to be obedient to the Lord in baptism. And she wanted to do it in a way and in a place that had special meaning to her and to her story of discovering and experiencing that life-changing love of Christ in her own life. And we want to invite you to watch this video and uh, to listen carefully. I grew up Catholic. Around 13, I decided um, that that wasn't the way I wanted to go. So I sort of stepped away from God because he was um, kind of angry. You know, it was it wasn't a loving God. And um, I started drinking when I was 15, and I drank till I was 30. And when I got sober, I um, I wasn't atheist, but I didn't have a relationship with God at all. Um, so I needed to find a higher power. And I did a, a meditation, and the first thing that came to me was an elephant. So for the first two years of my sobriety, my an elephant was my higher power. Um, and a friend of mine suggested that I make a list of the qualities that I would want my God to be. And um, I did that, and it turned out to be a really loving God. And I was able to um, change from an elephant to really actually believing in God. Um, after that, I... Um, I stepped away again, and um, now I feel like I've come full circle up here in Thailand. And George, we're going to come back every year and watch elephants. What do you think about that? I got to um, be with my friend Chris, who introduced me to PCC, and um, now I'm willing and ready to turn my life over to God as I understand Him ready to have Jesus Christ as my Savior. So um, looking forward to be, being obedient to God and um, a new chapter in my life. We're going to get baptized. We're going to the river. I believe Jesus is the Christ, Son of the Living God, and I accept Him as my Lord and Savior. I am baptizing you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, through the forgiveness of your sins. Maybe that needs to be you. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And maybe for you, you need to follow Eileen's example as she strives to follow Christ as well. To surrender your life to the Lord, to be obedient to him. Maybe you've already accepted Christ and yet you've kind of wandered away. You just haven't made him a part of your life. You don't really have that relationship with him. We want to invite you to respond to the Lord this morning. 
to just to go before him and to talk with him and to make things right with him. And if you want to talk to someone about that, we would love to have the opportunity to walk down that road with you, to just help you and to just be in a source of encouragement and accountability. We've been called to love. In order to do that, we have to have the love of Christ in our life. And so we want to invite you to respond to him today. The band's going to lead us uh, in uh, a few more songs here this morning. And, and what's going to happen over the, the course of the remainder of our time this morning is we're going to worship, we're going to sing, and we're going to take communion, and we're going to ha- give our offering, and, and we're going to remember and celebrate what God has done in our life, his love in our life. And if at any point you want to talk to someone, I'm just going to invite you to make your way to the front or the back of the auditorium where members of the prayer team and the leadership team will be to, to meet with you and, and to talk with you and just to encourage you. And, and if you want to talk about what it means to surrender your life to Christ, if you want to talk about what it means to be obedient in baptism, um, I, I would love to talk to you about that this morning. I'm gonna, I'll be over here by the cross. I'm just going to invite you to make your way over there. I invite you to stand with me, if you will. Let's respond to the Lord as we worship together. And let's praise the Savior who came to our rescue this morning.